Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... His uh, performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for The 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. This is Steve Meltring, and welcome to the Cartoon Bar Room, uh, where we discuss uh, uh, all things animation with uh, industry professionals and experts. And, and with me, as always, is uh, my favorite co-host, Ashley Edward Miller. Yo. Okay. Probably my only co-host, right? I think I'm your only co-host. <laughs> I mean, it's on the other podcast, sure, we have two other co-hosts. But right now, unless I'm fired and you're not telling me, I'm your only, your only co-host. <laughs> I don't think I have the authority to fire anybody. Right. I think show. because we're all like, we'd have to fire each other and then it would be like a thing where it's like the Aaron Burr and I don't know. I think Lynn Manuel would... <laughs> I think we're all just kind of volunteers though, aren't we? we? Can we, we are. Can you be fired if you're a volunteer? Is anybody being paid? You know what? Screw this podcast. Let's go. Let's get out. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Sorry, everyone. Uh, that's our farewell performance. Um, nah, man. I, uh, I just got back from Vegas, baby. Oh yeah, how'd it go? It went amazing. It was it you was were fun. there for uh, the Star Trek. Uh, what's the convention called? It's the uh, the Creation Con. It's like their fifty five year anniversary. I have some comments and some notes for them on their fifty five logo. It was a little 
you know, it was it was a little. It, I'll just put it this way: it didn't look good with like the silver fifty-five on the black hat. It was just it was just a little <laughs> bit, you know, people that Indiana Jones doesn't like. Um, but but it was fun. Uh, you know, we had a good time. It was like it was fairly well attended. You know, there were lots of actors there and stuff, and uh, got to hang out and be a nerd for a few days and then come home and continue to be a nerd, except in the privacy of my own home, uh, which is, which is pretty great. Um, I flew spirit airlines and survived. Wow. Which was cool. Uh, and I stayed at the Rio and survived, <laughs> which is somewhat harder and yet cooler. I mean, <laughs> went all the way up to the top of that thing. And there's a, there's he a... stayed at Rio and he danced along the roof. Yes, in fact, I did, uh, and, and I survived the elevator trip, which was which is pretty great. Um, and uh, also saw Absinthe, which is a great live show. Oh yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's basically it's a burlesque. It's like a theater in the round. It's a circus, a dessert topping, and a floor wax. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, and it uh, it is a fairly awkward segue into uh what i think we want to talk about tonight because it was live and there was action um taking like people who like who work in live action like i don't know like one of the co-hosts of this podcast and turning them into animation writers and kind of what that's like and it's happening a lot lately um there's a lot of material in the pipeline um, it seems like everybody and their mom are uh, are trying to develop animated series. You know, HBO Max, Netflix, Amazon, Disney. They're all like turning that into a priority, not just for kids, um, but for adults. Um, they are, you know, they're reaching out to animation writers, but they're also reaching out to a holes like me. Um, and it's just <laughs> it's a it's a fascinating process to kind of see where it goes, how long it lasts, how much of this stuff. Um, actually makes it to screen. Um, but for our interests, what we like to talk about, I think we want to talk about what it's like inside. And to do that, we've got a couple of great guests. We've got Charlie and Vlas, Parla Penis, uh, <laughs> who uh, were the, the writers, creators, the executive producers. Um, you know, I think they were like the janitors of Blood <laughs> of Zeus. They had to clean up all the blood. All that blood. I was just going to say, talking about adult animation, it doesn't get much more adult than Blood of Zeus. No, it was like the swimming pool of Blood of Zeus. Um, <laughs> it's, it was it was quite something. So, guys, welcome. Uh, Charlie, welcome. Uh, before you say anything else, tell us what you're drinking tonight. Oh, I actually, you know, not to go all Big Fat Greek Wedding, but I broke out the Uzo. I poured myself two fingers. You know, I'm not a huge black licorice guy, but... You know, uh, it being summer and wishing I was in Greece right now instead of here writing, uh, I figured I would just kind of pretend that I'm actually sitting at the beach in Greece somewhere drinking some ouzo. Okay, now explain ouzo to us. What the hell is ouzo? Our our listeners want to know. I want to know. I want to know. There's you know. two kind of hard spirits that you can get when you're in Greece. Ouzo is this clear, it looks like water, um, but it's this black licorice tasting. It's like 25 proof. Uh, you know, people set it on fire. But if you ever walk by the Cafe Neo, like the, the cafe that the old Greek men sit at, they're all just, you see these clear cups and it looks like they're drinking ice water, but it's actually really strong liquor. So it's either Uzo or Mataxa. Mataxa is almost this like red-orange drink. Um, 
that I actually like a little bit better, but we didn't have any downstairs, so I just I grabbed this instead. But uh, is it but harder it, to it, get in America because it's harder to say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's a Greek store everywhere. You know, we're like cockroaches. We're everywhere. There's like, <laughs> you know, like there, there's always some place to get the Greek connect. And the one point I just wanted to clarify, you guys mentioned in this town, anyone can get fired, whether you're paid, whether you're an intern, <laughs> no matter what. So just for the audience out there listening in this business, especially coming from features and live action, you can always be fired. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are or what you're doing. But yeah, no, this is a, it's a, it's a very traditional Greek drink. Outstanding. I, I love that. Like it's, it is both like, you know, it's a very personal choice and it's also, you know, on theme with many of your credits and also your own personal backstory, which I think is great. Um, well, so it's, a, it's an educational experience for <laughs> our listeners. That's right. We like to talk about booze here basically because it prevents us from needing to talk about our jobs, you know, and <laughs> that's what we're trying to avoid as much as possible. Uh, Just one warning, like American okay. friends, they either love it or they spit it out. Like Uzo is a very distinct taste. So um, just be forewarned if anyone wants to partake. So you it's, basically it's, want to share it with a bunch of your friends and videotape it, then do a super cut of all the ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it, it also, you can pour it into the gas tank of your car and then it'll, it'll go much faster. <laughs> Unless you have a Tesla, then it doesn't work so well. But right, then, I mean, because you don't even have the gas tank. If I, I'm picturing, uh, picturing uh, Mad Max Fury Road, like crawling out of the intake and taking a bite or a drink and spitting it, blowing it into the uh, intake valve. There you go. That's exactly it. So those dulcet tones belong to uh, to Charlie's brother, Vlas. Uh, Vlas, you're the brother. Uh, he's also the brother. But uh, but you are not drinking Uzo, as near as oh. I can tell. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But what before we get to that, okay, I didn't, I didn't know your, your middle name was Edward. I didn't know that. Weirdly, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Your name was Ashley Miller. And I was like, oh, Edward. Inter you know, my middle name is Wally. Don't okay. ask me why. Just Wally. Just Wally. Not it's Wallace. Wallace. It's not Wallace. Wallace. Not <laughs> William. On my birth certificate, it's Vlasis Wally Parlopanides. I and love that. That's a great name. In fact, that's so great, I don't even believe you're on the show. Okay. Our, our parents wanted to assimilate. We all got Greek names and American names. I was going to say, did they watch a lot of Leave it to Beaver uh, before Me. you? Exactly. <laughs> it's an, you know, eight pounds. Oh, that looks like a Vlasis Wally. You guys, you <laughs> guys nailed it. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's you should, you should, why, don't we, why is that not your accredited name as a writer? <laughs> if, if that were my name, I would absolutely... Well, why is it Edward, Edwards, why isn't that in there? Just Ashley Miller. It rolls off the Oh, it is in there. Is that so that your name takes up more space on the screen? 100%. But even on this recording, it's just Ashley Miller. That's all I see there. I don't see Edward. Yeah, no, I I do it as my credited name. So there's no gender confusion. It happens anyway. It happens anyway. But you know what? It, it it is what it is. I mean, I think I'm I'm pretty enough for it, so it's fine. Yeah, uh, I have a great credit story, um, but I don't know. Maybe it's something I can mention at the end of the show because I don't want to detract the flow. Okay. Well, there is, there is no flow the except show, the alcohol, right? So go ahead. <laughs> I was the janitor on the on the Blood of Zeus, so and I was a very good janitor too, by the way. Fantastic. <laughs> by the bucket full, man. <laughs> uh, so, so what are you drinking other than blood? So, okay. So I'm drinking Latitude 33. 
Okay. Wow. Okay. It's a, yeah. It's a beer. It's uh, it's very good. And it has a higher alcohol content. And as writers, we all need, we all know that we need to have that higher kick. <laughs> At the end yes. of the day, yes, after we, do. we got some tacos, we need something with a little kick to it. Yeah, one of the, uh, the, the showrunners I, I worked for when I was working on, uh, on Sarah Connor, John Worth, um, called, uh, and it was, it was a term that he got from his boss on Remington Steel, uh, referred to, uh, to booze as typewriter fluid. <laughs> you know, That's and they would great. have a happy hour at the end of the day and everybody would pass around the typewriter fluid. Then the there story break go. got really cool. Uh, yes. Steve, what are you drinking, man? I've got my one of my good old standbys, the the kettle one screwdriver. Excellent. How about you? What do you what do you got? Uh tonight I am consuming uh a lovely uh Aberlore 18. Uh, you know, I'm kind of eschewing my my usual uh, martini for a little bit of scotch. This is actually the first scotch that I've had since I moved into my new house. Wow. So Great. it's a little bit of a celebration. Thank you. For you. Hey, where'd you get a new, where, where'd you buy the new house? Uh, Dallas. Dallas. Oh, yeah. good. So I, I got the heck out of L.A., man. Good for you. You're part of that wave of people moving to Texas, huh? I, I had no idea. all the way here. Congrats. I stood up on the board. I caught a tube. I landed in Texas. Great. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's for the, you. Yeah, Thank I want to hear about that because we love that. We're from New Jersey. Don't hold it against us. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, no. So, so, uh, so if we were in Greece, how would we toast uh, to, to, to the show? What would we say? Yamas. Yeah, Siniyasas or Yamas, which is to our well-being, to all our well-being. God, you know, God bless. Yamas. <laughs> Yamas. The easy way to remember it, my buddy always tells me this, my Irish buddy, he's like, skinny asses, like skinny asses, skinny asses, like you can always think of American kind of way. Skinny asses! He always remembers that's, that's Greek too. <laughs> uh, it is Greek. Um, I'm actually a little bit, a little bit Greek. Oh, my uh, my, my mom's maiden name is Nicodemus. Which is pretty goddamn Greek. Super Greek. Ah. Super Greek. <laughs> also, I think Satan, which is also pretty much truth in advertising. So it's good. What uh, part of Greece uh, do you know, Ashley? New Jersey. It, probably New Jersey. Yeah. No, no, no. no. It's, like, it's all like, you know, I, I lose track of like where the family comes from after like it gets back to Pennsylvania. But like, but yeah. So there you go. My Sometimes you can tell so. by the last name, like depending on where the, how the, like, Edis means from Asia Minor. If it's an Opolos, they're from an island. But like, um, I have no idea. Fascinating. Yeah, okay. You know, Ides, and the other person that comes there is Homer. So you're in good company. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, Homer. Yeah. Not Simpsons. You know, not Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our side. Yeah, <laughs> um, Rosie Finger Dawn spread across the. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea why the hell I started doing the fucking Iliad. Anyway, um, it, here we are, guys. So, all right, let's let's talk about you guys. So, you kind of, you know, I'm, and I know that like you have, have done some stuff before. I looked at your 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 credits. I know that you know, obviously, you don't just sort of begin with the thing that you sell, right? Like with the with kind of like the big splashy thing. Your big splashy thing was a fairly cool thing, um, Immortals. That was directed by Tarson Singh, um, and which you know I, I went to see in the theater. Like I bought it on Blu-ray. I actually reference it 
quite a bit. I mean, because I think what to me was really fascinating about that about that film was, um, and it's it's weird because I, I've referenced it in the context of uh, of doing superhero movies. That uh, that one of the things that Tarson does in that movie, like when the gods decide to do shit, it feels like the gods have decided to do shit. Right? <laughs> like when they slam down. <laughs> Right into Tartarus to like to take on some Titan ass and like and kick ass like you feel it. It has a physical presence when they arrive, and the way that they move, everything that happens is like yeah, that's exactly how it would be. Um, I like I refer to those moments all the time. Um, and one of the other things that's really cool about it is that you know obviously it's very stylized, but it 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 is not Clash of the Titans. Um, it is not friendly people in togas having adventures. It is not Bobo the Owl, right? It's it's not even the remake of those movies because it kind of leans into a lot of the things that are scary and unsettling um, about uh, that kind of Bronze Age Greek culture and, you know, what everything was was like, kind of, you know, what it means, like, when you take somebody and, like, you boil them alive inside of a giant brass bunny <laughs> rabbit you know what i mean it's like that does not look fun at all um so it was almost frankly it, to kind of connect this to to where this conversation ultimately went, wants to end up is um it very much had the feel right because i guess because it's tarsome um of something that was that was animated right it was just it was sort of it was very it leaned very much into the into the visual so when you were writing that right like I know like we all, like we kind of sit down, we have things in our head, especially like when we're writing for somebody else to direct. Um, the typewriter fluid is flowing. Damn right it is. Uh, you know, how much of that was was in your head and you guys sat down and you, you started doing it? You know, you guys will appreciate this as writers. You know, the whole reason it's funny you mentioned Clash of the Titans. The first script we ever sold uh, that got us in the business that we sold to Universal was a high script. And back when... OWA's open writing assignments were still a thing. Um, our agent sent us this grid and we saw Clash of the Titans. And that's one of our all-time favorite films. Mm -hmm. And we asked our agent, hey, can you put us up for this? And he reached out to Warners and they said, well, the guys don't have an appropriate sample for this. Like, we couldn't even get a meeting to, to pitch it our was case. attached to that high script. It was like yeah. a totally different genre. Yeah, it was a completely different genre. It was a heist. It was guys with guns, you know, um, and so when they came back and they said, well, no, you, you can't even pitch on this. You know, you don't have an appropriate world building sample that like Vlas and I were kind of incredulous and we're like, listen, we're Greek. We lived in Greece. We, we would go there for summers. Like we've been, you know, living and breathing these stories forever. How can they not like, let us even just, you know, pitch a take on it. And, you know, we were, you know, that was the very beginning of our career. And, uh, so right before the 2007 writer's strike, um, we could have booked this other assignment, but we decided that we had this idea for what would become Immortals. We just decided we were going to write it, which was stupid, which our agents told us, don't <laughs> do good. it. The, yeah, other, the other project was with Stallone. It was either yeah. one of those or or this, believe it or not. Yeah, and there was, there was God of War at Universal. There was Clash at Warners. There was uh, another one at Sony. Um, and they're like, guys, do not do this. But we were just like, you know what? We believe in this story. We always felt that the gods were the world's first superheroes and we'd never seen them depicted that way. And uh, and so we just said, like, screw it. And so that's what we did. You know, we would load vans at the guild and we worked on that script. And that's what we did during the writer's strike. We wrote uh, what would become Immortals. Um, and then 
you know, you know how things go, you know, Ashley, like you can give a spec to three different directors and you get three different movies. And, and part of what happened with that movie is that there's a lot of things that, that we had in the original script that they captured. And then it also became its own thing because the initial script that we sold was like 140, $150 million. And basically relativity said, if you can do this for 75, which was really 60 because they charged himself 15 million for self-financing it. They said, if you can get to that 60 number, we'll green light it and you can make the film. And so Tarzan's like, can we do this? Is there a story that we can take? And we literally had to like cut that script in half and start all over. Um, because initially so too, we, we were hoping to do Lord of the Rings in the world of Greek mythology. We wanted the fantastical elements to be there, the creatures to be there, all those things. But those things were too expensive. So Tarzem said... He was, Tarzem wasn't as comfortable with that stuff. He's like, I don't know how to do flying horses. I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. And so then we kind of leaned into, like, that was a very brutal time. Like, if you read anything about history, like, after, you know, there, there was an Athenian ally that let the Persians pass through where kind of like, you know, the... the uh, um, uh, I forget which passage it was, but they were supposed to stop them and send warning and warn the, the Athenians. And after the Athenians weren't warned and they beat them in Marathon, they went to that ally and the king of that, you know, town, they stoned his son to death. And then the king, they put him in the trunk of a tree where they would like bound him to it and they put honey so that animals would come and kill him. And these are the Athenians. These are the, the educated, you know, people, the philosophers that we look up to and like, you know, they're kind of like the, you know, the more educated to Sparta, but that was that world. So since we couldn't go fantastical, Arsene wanted to go in that direction, and so we just leaned into that. I'll be honest. Um, I I think on some level, Relativity and, and Tarzan did you a favor um, because, sure, flying horses are awesome. I think we all want a flying horse. I think that's better than a Tesla. I'm not sure where you put the charging gear. <laughs> Especially when you have a drink, Uzo, then it's the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see, and like, and the flying horse loves the Uzo, and like, it does all the driving. And it's amazing. Um, but it was really effective because it's what set it apart. Yeah. Uh, and what gave it an identity. It wasn't exactly grimdark. It just felt like, oh, there's a certain reality to that that kind of grounded all the stuff with the gods and made that seem um, even more awesome. I mean, and Tarsum has a very very interesting and, and distinctive visual style. I mean, at times he can be a little languid, right? But like, but you give him something, like you give him a, you give him a great script, right? Like Immortals or The Cell. Um, and in all of those instincts, I think, kind of come to life. Um, he's and a great I, guy to work with, too, and can't say enough good things. He's, he's just a gentleman. A, he's so gracious. He's, so, he's one of the good guys. He was a, a, just a real pleasure to work with. And, yeah, he's, he's just a great guy. That's really I really great wish someone would give him another shot, like give him a shot at something that he can really stick in, his teeth in. And like you said, Ashley, if, if you give him the right script, yeah. I think he gets, you know, he's in, incredible as a visualist, but he also like gets good performances and like he understands moments. And, you know, I, I think he's underrated, um, but this business is so crazy. Who knows who and why people get to do what anymore? I have no right. idea. And you what know, gets we, you sent to movie jail and yeah, all that other exactly. stuff. He, he also really, I loved how he handled the God's portion of it. And I could see why you like that. And he spent time doing that. And he also was a big advocate because he'd been speaking to Henry when we were flying there. And they wanted four scenes where we could really finish Henry's character arc. 
to go from angry to letting that anger go and then in doing so overcoming the adversity. But by that time, you know, the studio had locked the script and they didn't want to make those changes. So we feel like we were four scenes away from really giving the character that arc. We'd gotten rewritten by two writers. They did some really good stuff and other things that we disagreed with. You know how the business works. Mm -hmm. But if we had those four scenes, you know, the ones that Tarzan really kind of wanted to do and we wanted to do, um, I think it would have helped the, the overall, you know, character arc. And that's something that we brought to um, Blood of Zeus. And we made sure that was in there because we had more of that creative control. But um, yeah, Tarzan was a real pleasure. And, and he specifically knew exactly what he was going to do with every shot, especially when it came to the gods, especially when it came to those battle sequences. You know, he knew those inside and out. And we had talked about like when the gods show up in mythology, like they're not always these benevolent, you know, kind of like it's not the the Judeo Christian god, like hey, let me help you out and give you a miracle. Like they show up and sometimes do awful things or they kick ass or you know, it's it's they're something. It, it they like be a to, moment. They, they like to fuck with people. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just going to end that at the top of the sentence, right? It's like that <laughs> Onion headline. Zeus shocked to learn that Earth women do not like it when you appear to them as a swan or a golden shower. <laughs> Call me crazy, but they don't like that. <laughs> we needed a janitor on Immortals too. I was a janitor on that one as well. Just to say, oh my god, well, oh my gods, man. Um, yeah. So, did you guys, when you, just working with him, like, did, was there anything that you that you took away from that experience, just? visually, right? You know, for me, it was just great to see how he worked. So he had like three stages and things were going simultaneously. And he has a shorthand with his crew because he shoots a lot of commercials. He's the Michael Jordan in the commercial world. And just to see how he worked and how he would build part of a set and then how the rest of it would be green screen. It was fantastic. I mean, it, it was just an awe of just like how quickly he worked and how he was able to get the performances that he got in a short period of time. That was how really cool. He emphasized the art department. Like the first people they hired was the art department. And he got them to work pulling references, pulling images. Mm -hmm. And you would just see him like, mm -hmm. so they would pull images for each character. They would pull images for each environment. They would pull images for each setting. Um, and or, or if there was a sequence of, you know, and he would pull images from, you would see like high fashion images. You would see, you know, Renaissance paintings. And they would all kind of go up on these boards in these rooms that he had. And he would walk us through. And he's like, well, I'm thinking for this scene. And you would see him kind of take some references and then put his own unique kind of spin on it. And this is how I'm going to connect this moment to that moment. So you really saw him slowly kind of build the aesthetic of the film. That was just kind of, it was really interesting to, to see him kind of partake in that process. And 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 uh, that, that was interesting because we would go like, Every weekend we would meet at his house. He has a beautiful house in LA. He has Herb Ritz's old house, the famous photographer. And the, the place is amazing. But we would go there and go through the script and we would talk about which beats we could keep and which we couldn't afford. And, and we would give him the pages we worked on you know, for that day. And then he would show us images that he was thinking of. And it was just so interesting to see him take the written word and visualize it. He, he really is amazing at that. And we're nerds. Charlie took art history classes at Swarthmore. I went to Villanova. We're nerds. So we're like, love, we love Caravaggio. We love the high Renaissance, you know, 1400 to 1425. So when he was showing some of these images to us, we were like, we were, we were thrilled. This sounds like a lot of great, um, you know, preparation in a way to, to doing an animated series when you're, you're, you're dealing with the art department and, and, and visualizing a script from the early stages and being a part of that process from the inside. 
that's pretty great. Absolutely. And well said, you know, it really did help. Um, and what was also cool about animation is that you see it kind of come together in incremental steps. And that is very gratifying. Um, yeah, but anyway, I don't want to kind of say, Oh, you know, no, no. I mean, talk about what you want to talk about. This kind of, this conversation goes like wherever the heck it, it wants to go. Um, you would not be, you would not believe some of the cul-de-sacs that we found ourselves <laughs> desperately searching for the correct address and deciding we don't care. Well, you know, I'm curious. I'm always curious about process. So I wanted to ask Stephen, and I wanted to ask you, what's your process? Like everyone's process is a little bit different. You know, sometimes some writers write for four hours, some write, you know, in, in different periods of time. You know, Tarantino had this whole routine now where he kind of writes writes about six o'clock, goes to the pool and then reminisces and kind of thinks like, oh, what if I can, can I plus this? Can he I do this feet. here? What? He looks at feet. <laughs> he looks at feet. He goes <laughs> off of Wikipedia or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm curious. Like, I would ask Ashley, you, and then Steve, um, what, what's your process? Like, because then I also find like, well, we, need, should be, we should be reading books and we should be watching movies. And like, there's, there's never enough time in the day. I can never understand anyone that goes through their day and says, like, oh, I had all this time. I don't know. It's like, desperation people, followed by shame. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a monster. I, uh, I, I get up at four thirty in the morning. Oh, wow. Morning. Good for you. Good uh, for you. And I just, I start, I'll read or I'll write, or, I mean, you know, because working on the show, I'm looking at like a hundred thousand emails from Korea and, you know, the other part. whatever, but, uh, but yeah, I get up early and I start and I go until my kids are awake and then. You know, I try to pretend that's not happening. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, and then I kind of get back into it. But I like, I am, I am either writing or I am reading or I am researching or I am watching for about 10 hours a day. You got almost have to do it that way in our generation, I feel like. But that wasn't always the way it was, I feel. And, and I'm curious to hear, you know, see what Steve says. But I think there's a lot of truth to that because you're always just kind of, you don't know when you're going to use some ideas. So you need to yeah. be reading. But also when you're writing, you only have so much time. That's the other part of it. And you do have to answer these emails. And you do have, you know, we have families and, and you know, we love being dads. So there's always that kind of push-pull and like, you know, where are you going to put your focus? Um, and and then there's other times where even like Sorkin says and, and even, you know, uh, David O. Russell, like, you know, sometimes I get frustrated when, when there isn't much written on the page, but that is writing. Mm -hmm discussing and even talking about different ideas and things about that aren't even related to the show. You know, I read, I heard a podcast from The Sopranos the other day and there, you know, uh, uh, Winters was talking about that. And, you know, um, so it's just, it's just a crazy kind of process. And I'm always curious to hear about other people's process. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite of Ashley. I don't have kids. I'm married, but I don't have kids. So uh, I've always been a night owl since my high school days. And I'm most comfortable if I can go to sleep around two or three o'clock in the morning and get wow. up at 10 or 11. Um, but obviously the realities of production will intrude on that. Like I'm in production now on a show and I'll have like a nine o'clock meeting or a 10 o'clock meeting. So I got to be up and ready. But uh, if it was up to me, my, my writing, my ideal writing schedule is to get out of bed at 10 or 11 and then I'll just kind of answer emails and, and you know, read the internet top to bottom, uh, kind of procrastinate for a while, uh, and, uh, eat lunch. And then I'm good for writing at about mid afternoon to about <laughs> seven or eight. Those are my, my prime writing hours. Uh, and, uh, but if I'm on a, a tough deadline, I'll take a break 
for dinner when my wife gets home and we'll spend time together and then she'll go to bed and I'll work until two or three o'clock in the morning if, if I really need to. Otherwise, I'm like you, I'm always trying to feed my brain. You know, I'm reading something, I watch movies and TV shows and I watch everything. Like I, you know, I, I love the geek stuff, the nerd stuff, the genre stuff, but I also love documentaries. I love you know, film noir and classic film. Like I just w- will watch yeah. anything. Um, so yeah, and, and I rewatch old things that I love and to to you know to get enjoyment. And I try, I try to do a mix of of things that I've seen before that I love, things that I want to study because it relates to a project I'm working on, and and new things that I've never seen. So let's kind of jump on that for a second, right? So. After Immortals, now this is like one of these things that people say and they're stupid, right? Because it's like, if you look at my IMDb, it's like, so after X-Men, you did Black Sales six years later. Well, no, actually, (laughs) I did a lot of shit between those things. Um, It's just like what you know about. But, but, you know, on your your credit list, right? It's like you go from um, Immortals to uh, Death Note on Netflix, right? Television show. Um, obviously kind of a different experience. It's a little bit of a bridge between Immortals and doing Blood of Zeus. So did you, were you guys familiar with the kind of the IP behind that? Like, how did you land on that, right? And like, and it's hugely popular, right? Like the, all of the, the source material is hugely popular. So like, I mean, how do you, I mean, it's kind of a silly question for me to ask, but it's like, but, but, but how do you kind of take this, this thing that like, is so particular and strange and yet so popular and then try to turn it into a different format. Well, the one thing, it's an interesting story. The the one thing I will say though, you mentioned with working Tarzan, we did learn a lot because that was the first time we were writing towards production. And I remember when we would sit with Tarzan, it's like, do we need both locations here? And these are some things that we carried into animation. Like, can this scene, instead of half it playing out on deck and the other half below deck, can it all just be in one location? Or it'd always be like, don't write, the Russian army comes over the hill because that one sentence is 30 setups for me, you know. Atlanta Burns. Which is a pretty good detective name, by the way. uh, You know, or or even learning from Tarzan, another thing we learned is that you don't have to win every fight that day. You don't have to die on that hill every day. Like, they kept telling us, like, we weren't hitting our number yet. And we had that, we had written out like so many different versions of the gods and the titans fighting. And he said, listen, for this next draft, just write gods and titans fight on for five pages. Just write gods and titans fight. Gods, because whatever you write, they're going to tell me it's more than I can afford. But I'm going to tell them just to have faith in me. So the final draft we handed in, it, all the stuff we had written, they just, and just said gods and titans fight this page. Gods and titans fight this page. And it was genius. And then they said, okay, you, you know, you'll get it done. These are the days you have. Go ahead. And a lot of that we ended up using a decade later, um, you know, for Blood of Zeus and and really taking those lessons and, you know, having worked more and written more that understanding like what you write and what it means when it comes to shots and scene length and how much you can afford to animate. Um, And then in terms of Death Note, that was something that we were on back in 2006. We were reading bootleg um, copies of the manga. The animated show didn't even exist yet. And right. we thought it was great. And um, long it was story Warner short, Brothers. Yeah, we helped Warner Brothers acquire the rights to it. We There was an executive there that really liked Dan Lin, who was the producer on Death Note. He had really liked that heist film we had written. And he said, what are you guys interested in? And we had mentioned Death Note. And he saw that it was a very popular selling manga and, and the idea. 
So we were involved before there was even an animated show trying to get the rights. Voss had always said, this is a movie. And, right. and the one pitch that we always had for, for, for Death Note is that when you first start reading that, those manga, you, you kind of, you know, you see yourself as light. You see yourself as the hero and that if you got this power, you would try and do good with it. Maybe, you know, you feel that way. That's how we felt. And that you would try and, you know, make the world better. But as you read the manga and get further into the story, what you realize is that he's not the hero, that he's actually the villain. And the hero is L who's trying to stop him. So our pitch for that was always present it like a Western story, almost like a Marvel movie where we maybe see something tragic happen to light. We see him lose his mother and we understand why he would take this path. But then what you reveal by the end is that the hero really is the detective who's trying to stop him. And that was always our take on it. It was something we always, you know, believed in. We actually wrote uh, and worked on that, you know, before we even wrote Immortals. Um, and then there was a bunch of different directors that went on it. And then we did our last pass, I think, in like 2009 or something. Um, and then, you know, it went dormant for a while. Um, when we wrote, well, we sold, you know, other feature spec that we wrote. So, like you said, there's always other jobs. We developed TV for the first time. We got very close with a project at CBS that, you know, almost went. It was us or another show, the show Intelligence, actually. Um, that was a show that, that Les picked over ours. Um, so you do other things, but it was, you know, we were we had just kind of, you know, sold our first few scripts. We were learning what it takes to survive and make it in this business. And then, you know, we have projects that come together and fall apart. You have TV shows that almost go. And then, you know, at the very end, you, you know, it doesn't make the, the, the cut. And you're just learning. You just have to what I believe is that as a writer, your job is to keep coming up with good ideas, keep coming up with interesting stories, work as hard as you can on them, try and continue to grow as a writer. And then you leave it to the TV and movie gods. Like who knows like what gets made and why it gets made. And sometimes this director's interest or this actor's interest pushes it forward, but then they, they fall off and then it goes quiet for a while. Like who knows, you know? And if we can just say something regarding Death Note, you know, we love the property. We love the manga. We love everything about it. And, you know, we also got rewritten on that. And I think the guys that came in afterwards did a good job. But the, the director made a very conscious decision. Now, if you think about it, when he came on, when Adam came on, this was years later, the anime had, they, they already had the anime. They made three of those movies in, in Japan. So he decided that he didn't want to just follow the anime because that had already been done. He mm -hmm. tried doing something different. He tried saying, oh, these are cool characters and let me try to tell an original story in this world. But in the end of the day, the fans rejected that. You know, it hurts. Like, we want to give the fans something that they want. And he tried and the writers that came in afterwards and like, but it just, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you know, when you say Adam, you, we're, we're talking, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, about um, Adam Wingard, yeah. uh, who most of you know as the, as the, uh, the director of Godzilla versus Kong. Um, you know, which is the movie where Kong flies out of a very large hole and punches a lizard in the face. Uh, and by the way, it's a ton of fun and I, I love it. Uh, but he also uh, cut his teeth in horror on things like VHS, You Are Next, The Guest, which is awesome, and, uh, and stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, um, who is just unbelievably great. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, the, I... I the thing that kept going through my head is you were talking about like just sort of the the way that Death Note unfolds in its original form is holy crap! How do you take something like that and make it sensible in less than two hours? If that's really the heart 
of what that of what that property of what that story wants to be you know yeah. that it is ultimately this this switch you know where you are you were kind of telling the audience hey guess what i just proved to you that i can make you give your sympathies to whoever you're watching until you realize that your sympathies sit with the wrong person yeah. and now your emotions are very complicated and now yeah. you don't know who you're rooting for anymore but now you know who you should be rooting for and now that switch happens and it's tough man look it's it's tough enough in the action space right with some of this like big world building shit where you have to define uh, some huge world in 30 minutes uh and then you get to live in it for an hour then you spend half an hour blowing it the hell up right it's like it just it just doesn't it's it's uh it's yeah. a little tight man no matter and i don't mean this I think TV is incredible now, but to really nail a feature, you know, that is a hard bullseye to hit because you're always a slave to this structure, this format. There's only so much story and so much, you know, canvas space you have. And it's really tough. Um, you know, it's, I, I remember the, the, as soon as we finished writing Blood of Zeus, we kind of got used to these like 21 page scripts and we, we booked the open writing assignment and we had to write a feature. And we were like on page 60 and I turned to Vlas when we were this is still pre-COVID. I was in the office. I'm like, this is, why does this feel like, I feel like I'm running a marathon with a piano on my back. Like, this is like, whoa, like this is a monster. Like we're not even halfway there. Um, you know, features like it's, it's you, everything has to belong there. You're beholden to Chekhov's gun. You're beholden to structure. You're beholden That's only to- in a Star Trek movie. <laughs> I, you know, I never realized that was his name and like connected the two. I don't know. Is that why he was given that name? Or is that just like... You know what? I don't know, but I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also liberating to write in the long format. It was liberating to be able to spend time with the character and really kind of delve into it. And it was, it, it was we would say Blood of Zeus was our most rewarding in, in terms of like it was rewarding creatively and professionally. We just absolutely loved it because it was the one of the first times with the exception of like, say like Everything for a Reason, which is like a small little tiny little feature that we made that premiered at AFI way back in the day. Blood of Zeus was the one where we were involved from inception of idea to the completion. And we had a brilliant director who we worked with who understand how to visualize emotion. So we would go through this scene, you know, and we would say, okay, the, the emotion in this scene is this. Emotionally, we're going to connect like, you know, this with, you know, something on epi in episode two, three, whatever it was. And it, it was, and he just understood it and he brought that to life. And that felt so good for better, for worse. It's the story we wanted to tell and we were able to tell it. And we had a great group, you know, where, you know, you guys have worked in, you know, all kinds of shows. This group we were blessed with, it was best idea wins. It wasn't about ego. It wasn't like, I got to get my idea in there. Who cares? You know, Spielberg had said, you know, best idea wins wherever it comes from. That's all that mattered to us. And we embraced that. Charlie and I embraced that. We've grown as writers, as brothers. We've grown, you know, you know, spiritually and professionally. And that's one thing that we've gotten really good at. And we were blessed to have other people to embrace that. Our director, everyone in our office. So it was just a, a real pleasure to work on that show because it was always what's in the best interest of the story, what's in the best interest of the characters. You know, people listening, sometimes in Hollywood, that's not the case. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> uh, no, no, it does and for, not. And as you know, for those people listening, offices are places where people used to go and gather to work together. <laughs> uh, 
I can only imagine what it was like on X-Men. I can only imagine, like, you know, the notes you were getting. And, like, and the writer always gets blamed, too. It's like, what was that writer thinking? That could be, like, some executive. Not that executive notes are bad. We're, we're like, you know, if there's a note, you do yourself a disservice if you don't if you don't hear. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to yeah. the note. And you have to try to identify what, what are and they. And you have to drink. And then you have to call <laughs> your phone. <laughs> you and a fuck <laughs> course. And then you have to tell your wife to hide the guns. And then, no, um, <laughs> and then you write an email, but you don't send it. Or you write an email, email, email and you later. send it, and luckily it doesn't go through because yes. there isn't enough signal. And then, like when you realize, like at the, the end of like the next two hours, when you try to send it again, another email has arrived that like suddenly means that you've won everything. And if that email had sent, you would be screwed. That's happened to me. Uh, that was the email. <laughs> we had a producer that sent the email when he was drunk. He shared that story with us. But the other producer's husband was the one that was bringing the money, and he got tossed off the project. And he goes, I shouldn't have sent that producer. I gave her all my credits. He had big credits, too, but don't send the email. Never send the email. <laughs> Never, ever send the email. Write that email until you hate it. Uh, but, no, I mean, the X-Men thing was nuts, man. That was, like, that was, that was uh, a, a page one rewrite of a draft that did not work at all. And it was 10 days. And um, Oh, I never yeah. knew that. You never told us that. Yeah, yeah. Oh it was 10 God. days, baby. It was like, oh we had God. like two days to completely re-break it. And then we had eight days to write it. And up until, and I think we spent a solid six days just trying to get the studio to sign off on Act One to the point where, you know, they, they had more notes on Act One. And I called up the executive and he's a great executive. He's a really good friend now. And I was like, hey, man, so here's the thing. You can give us that note. And that's awesome. I said, but we still have Act 2 and Act 3 to write. And it is Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> and if we get to Friday and the whole script isn't written, let me tell you what's going to happen. When we started doing this thing, everybody was like, this is like a dog standing up on its hind legs. It's not how long he stands up there. It's that he gets up there at all. So it's like a colossal <laughs> bar bet from everybody that we're even going to finish this thing. If we don't finish, it's no skin off our nose. If we fail, everybody's like, yeah, we kind of figured that's what would happen. It was 10 days. I said, but if we fail, do you know who's going to eat the shit burger? You. So do you want us to keep writing or do you want us to take some more notes on fucking act one? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you know what? How about you finish? I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Okay. And yeah. so true. It's just so true. That, that just rings so true. But that was 20 so hours of work a day, like four hours of sleep a night. I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell you what I think now. It's just <laughs> You know, a, a big writer told this once, and I agree with this. So God bless you and you're doing it. Because you can't write when you're tired. But also, we worked with a project with Chris Morgan, and he said he fell asleep. Was it, bro? He fell asleep at the, at the, like, at the stoplight or at the stop sign. And he didn't know if he was like, no, that was actually, he didn't know. Like, where he was. Was. Weirdly, he was writing the Fast <laughs> and Furious. He had to write like Act 3 in two days or something. It was something crazy. Two days? That's a, friend. That's, a, I don't that's, know. A, that's a luxurious don't, amount of time. Don't quote me. Don't quote me. But. We, we didn't have Act 3 on X-Men um, when I woke up on Friday morning at, uh, at 7 o'clock. And we didn't know what it was going to be until 9 a.m. And we had to turn it in at close of business. And then they told us that like Matthew Vaughn like, was going to get on a plane and he wanted to read it. Because Brian couldn't direct it. No, oh, by the way, could we have it done by three? Oh my yeah. God. And I got in the shower and I thought, how do the X Men find a submarine you guys, in the you water? And I went banshee. And then it was, we were off to the races.
You guys did such a great job. I Thank love you. that movie. Love Thank it. You. And like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, I just... But, yeah. You know what the lesson is? And Vlas and I say this sometimes. I don't know if you guys follow football, but Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson, the quarterback for the Ravens, he wears that sh- shirt that says, shut up, no one cares, work harder. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the truth. Like, no one cares. Like, our father was sick and dying, and we were in the middle of writing this pilot for ABC. <laughs> and, like, we said, like, oh, you know, we, we're in Jersey. He's taking a turn for the worst. And, like, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Our hearts go out to you. But can you have the script still by Friday? And we're like, uh, And we just did it. I guess so. It. Yeah. And so you just sit down, and you just get it done. And, you know, or I don't know if that was even the right thing to do, but, you know, it was what it was. Like, nobody cares. Work harder. Keep trying to put out the best stuff you can. Keep trying to do the best job. Like, and it, it, nobody and cares. that was a good pilot. That was a very good pilot. We were right there. Like, Les Moonves is reading your pilot. It's you or this other pilot. And they went with intelligence. <laughs> well, you just got to leave it all on the field sometimes, man. But yeah. so you guys actually went into the Blood of Zeus experience having not written episodic television either. Like, you'd written a pilot, but you hadn't actually worked on a show. No, never. Um, and you know, your experience with production was basically like the experience that you'd had working with Tarzan. Right. Um, and you know, it was, I'm sure like a whole new freaky ass world because you're not just coming from live action to animation. You're coming from live action, having not produced, um, and having not kind of worked in a version of that format like figuring that out as you go along and you're kind of thrust into this, into this new medium. I mean, that must've been a little uh, daunting. I guess it was bro. Now that he mentions it and when you, when you frame it like that, (laughs) you know, like, Oh, but it didn't like in some way, you know, maybe ignorance is bliss. (laughs) You know, we're like, all right, well, it's okay. Let's go at this. And maybe initially a little bit, but I didn't, it was kind of weird. It kind of just worked itself out. We just told ourselves, we're going to write a long script. You know, it's going to be a long story and we're really going to be able to delve into the characters. We knew where the character, a lot of the character arcs were, especially for our main character. And we knew their backstories. Uh, There was discovery there. We believe in that big time. And I'm curious to ask you guys, how much do you actually, when it comes to outlining, because we have like kind of a method and we believe in a certain way of doing it, where you outline some, but you also kind of leave some of the later outlines, make them a little more loosey-goosey because you want to, just let the characters take you there. But on the other hand, it's a little more challenging in, in TV and in animation. Um, and, you know, we were just fortunate to, uh, I think, you know, have it turn out as it did. What do you think, bro? I wasn't daunted as much well, as I you should. Know, you, know what it was? <laughs> you know what it was? We had a very good executive, uh, Brandon yeah. Mattingly, who was yeah. amazing. Uh, and then we had a lot of faith in Brad Graber, who's the head of Powerhouse, who, you know, also produces Castlevania. So we knew Powerhouse would deliver. And so we just felt like we're going to trust the process. No one, you know, we have that immigrant mentality, like, you know, we'll never be outworked. We will always do everything that's asked of us. You know, there's drafts that we did 12, 13, you know, revisions on, whatever it took. There was even a process where like, you know, they told us like, initially we checked in with Netflix and we said, is it okay if, you know, some scripts are 24, 25 pages? Like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And so we we wrote all the episodes at like twenty four and twenty five pages. But then when we're our director twenty eight even yeah, yeah yeah there was we had two that were that long. And when Sean our director came on board, he's like guys, it's got to be twenty one pages. 
you know, seven pages of action max per episode. You guys need to lose about 25 pages if we're going to have a chance to animate any of this well. And and so we had to spend a month like cutting out 25 pages. Yeah, a month and a half. And that sucked. That was the only part of the process that sucked. That was hard. Um, because there's things that we that lost that we liked. And, and, you know, but in the end, like, what Sean explained and what Mike, our line producer at Powerhouse, explained is that in the budget, we're only animating 21 and a half minutes worth of stuff. Now, Sean was like, I'm going to use every trick I know for doing this for 20 years, and we're going to squeeze more out of them because, like, some of this is flashback and some of this we're going to hold on frames. And the average runtime of our show is like 26 minutes, but we only paid for 21 and a half minutes of animation. Um, and he goes, Korea will be pissed at us, but don't worry. We're, we're going we're gonna to do that. But you got to get the page count down. And so once so we got funny. past that point, um, you know, we were happy with the story. And then it was just kind of like Vlad said, it, it incrementally, you know, you start seeing art, you start, you know, seeing, you, you have the board meetings and you start to see boards come in. And, and um, you know, we knew that this was a marathon and not a sprint. So we never felt like, oh my God, if we messed this moment up, we're screwed. The, the show is going to, you know, go to waste. There was one scene, there was one sequence with Alexia, the, one of the main female characters, and we felt like we cut too much of her stuff out. But I was telling Netflix, I will pay myself to animate this scene, please. I will put my own money to get this scene back. And they're like, guys, no, just like, let it go. That, that was the only great. time. We love them. But they were great. Just because they, were, they were very generous. They were great. There was that, that one scene, definitely. And there was also like a, a monologue, not a monologue, but we got more into her backstory. And then that ended up getting cut at the very end in episode seven. And then everyone came at us and we're like, oh, if you only knew. But I'm curious because you guys are, you know, you guys are both very successful at what you do. It's a little bit different in terms of like your outlines. Like we heard um, Howard Gordon say with 24 that they would like, you know, that they would outline the first three episodes and then they would be a little more loosey goosey with the rest of the outlines going forward because they really wanted to paint themselves in a corner to keep that surprise for the audience. Like, how do you guys balance that? Again, going back to process, I'm curious. Cause I mean, part of it, I'm guessing, Ashley, you don't have a choice. You have to give them all the outlines and you too, Steve, for the shows, or is there any leeway now because your, your guys are successful? How does it work well, for you guys? Uh, first of all, I'll say, I think that Howard Gordon's a little full of shit. Uh, because <laughs> the reality of Howard Gordon's life is he is trying to do 24 episodes of television in a year, right? So I say, yeah, we, wanna, we want them to surprise us. No, you fucking don't want them to surprise you. Like you are trying to feed the beast on a hugely <laughs> ambitious show. And you do not shoot uh, pages, you shoot days. The cameras are rolling, so you have to get it out there and depend on the writing staff to just bring it home and pray like hell that it works. That has nothing so to do true. with surprise. The surprise is, did you finish it on time and are you prepping it a week before you shoot it, okay? The surprise is, like, when you shoot it, does it make any goddamn sense when it gets to the end? That's the freaking surprise. Um, you know, every show I've worked on, you know, we have, and I especially, like, on Dota and Steve can, um, can, can attest to this, uh, plan like it's the invasion of Normandy. Um, you know, we did 10 page outlines for 28 page scripts. So when they tell you they can only animate 21 pages, they are full of shit. I can tell you that straight up, but what you have to do is control the edit, which I did. Yeah. That's the big thing. That's what I wanted to ask you, Ashley, because like there were so many times we'd be looking at animatic and we can only ship 21 and a half minutes and we're trying to squeeze out a minute. 
Or were you guys always like landing in a good place? Like, no, we would like, we would come in heavy, but like we would come in heavy because there was too much action, because there was too much air, um, because there were things that we simply didn't need, um, because we weren't necessarily telling the story in, um, in, in the, in a cinematic way, right? In the sense that like the, the cinema, can do things for you that dialogue doesn't necessarily need to do, that you don't necessarily need to step everything out, um, that you can compress a lot, but you have to do it through specificity. And the only way you get to specificity is through planning, I believe. So, you know, we did like on top of the, you know, we had those 28 page scripts, we had the 10 page outlines. We would turn in like these six page to seven page design documents that were pulling references on everything, backgrounds, props, character design, color palette. You name it. And then on top of that. Is that just a separate doc? Because that's yeah. interesting that you mentioned it. Or did you put that in the script? We That was a separate document. I mean, we would describe things out. And like we wrote action incredibly specifically. Um, and there were definitely times where it comes in long. And I'm like, okay, so I'm turning this into a montage. And I'm going to do it this way. Um, but we would also do uh, these, these tone documents that were, we took every scene in sequence. And it's, here's the point of view character in the scene. Here's the overriding emotion in the scene. Here are the things that must happen, right? Um, and here is the the climax of the scene, right? Here's like here's the critical piece. We spent a lot of time talking about POV with the board artists. We spent a lot of time with that. Um, and again, it's like I I controlled the edit. Like I once like we were kind of about halfway through the season. I was doing a little bit more all the time. The time we were like into the fifth episode, I was cutting it. Steve, I want to hear with you, but just one sec, Ashley, though, you had mentioned about the edit once when we had a conversation before, but I'm curious, that's great that you put, okay, this is the emotion of the scene. When you gave those scripts to the animators, did you also get on a Zoom and say, oh, yeah. okay, this yeah, is yeah. the emotion just to even triple or Yeah, double. we would always do the kickoff. And the thing that made it incredibly exciting is the fact that um, we, you know, it's, everything was in Korea at Studio Mirror, and they're amazing and they're fantastic, great. and I love them, and I was blessed. Uh, but you know, every meeting takes twice as long because there's a translator. Yeah. But that is one of the reasons why we did so much documentation. But frankly... Oh, yeah. And the, and those tone documents were particularly important because you're, you're dealing with an overseas studio and there is a language and cultural barrier. And, you know, it's something that might be shorthand to, you know, a North American crew is maybe a little bit more mysterious to an overseas crew. So those tone documents really help you just lay it out in very clean, simple... You know, we and on Ashley Shaw on, on uh, Dota, we tried to make the scripts readable as well. They're a fun read, I think. Into a lot of, I mean, as Ashley said, we were specific about the action, but we weren't like crazy specific, dry. Right. You know, they weren't a dry read; they were mm-hmm. an energetic read. But so these tone documents enabled us to to really spell it out, so that there's no confusion when the board artist sits down to do a scene. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it was it's it's just you know it, it comes down to I think like the 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 most important thing in this process period is you know number one you have to know what you want right I forget who the hell said it it was a director who said my job is to have opinions okay your job is to have opinions sure. and yeah. to be very specific about it uh, and you know that has been kind of you know my thing like on my show is like specificity 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 Tarantino like, Tarantino said that he goes I know exactly what I want and he communicates it to the you know DP this is exactly what I want and you you know that you have to try yeah. to set out go and get that sorry I cut and you no off. no it's fine and then you know we find that it's like you know sure animatics come in 
you know, long. You learn things about structure in the animatics. I've changed structure inside of the animatics. Um, and then animation comes in. And, you know, the thing that you kind of find with that is really like, okay, so now I know where I want moments to land. And it's like, oh, yeah, like we can get a whole extra minute. Well, no shit, you can get a whole extra minute out of it, man. <laughs> it's called you're adding a second of black here and a second of black there. It's called you're taking this frame and you're extending it. It's called, you know, you're slowing your scene down by 10%. This, as soon as you start doing that shit, like the time just starts to, to rack up and it's important time. Yeah. Right. So the, that that's first breeds. That's right. It's like that first cut, like on the animatic, when you lock it, is to get it to whatever the arbitrary time is, or something close to it that they they think they can do, um, and then you can find ways for it to breathe when animation shows up. But you, know, you know, for example, on the show I'm working on right now, we did an animatic screening this morning. Uh, it was our second pass on it, and it was to time. It was actually a few seconds under. But it was great to, to look at it in that state. And we still realize, you know what? We don't need this scene. It's out, you know, or, or this, this thing that's like eight seconds gone. Like now we can let this moment breathe more. Or we can, you know, let that close up linger on that close up more uh, or the establishing shot or, or whatever to make it more cinematic and, and whatnot. That's you know? the advantage though, Steve, we had with Netflix. We weren't beholden to like, you know, it wasn't like say network TV per se, like where you had to hit that number. And that was liberating yes. in many ways. So I give you extra props. It's, I think it's just so much harder to like... When well, you're doing I mean, broadcast, like, you know... Like, oh, God. Broad, all the broadcast, that's like 22.30, boom. And there's yeah. there's maybe a few seconds. Yeah. But, like, you got to hit that number. Like, Netflix, the show I'm on now is Netflix. But, yeah. like, your show, we're only paying for 24 minutes of animation per yeah. episode. Oh, so, good, we can We can slide second, We can slide the time to other episodes, but yeah. it's that yes. total amount. That's what we're paying for. Yes. And Netflix doesn't care if it's 24 minutes or 28 minutes. Yeah. But... Wait, which as long one, as it's not like 12 minutes. Which one is the care. Netflix show? It's not one of the Star Wars. Which one's the Netflix show? No, it, well, it hasn't been announced yet. Oh, it, it'll be announced okay. next week, I, I think. Oh, next week. Congratulations. 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 That's, awesome. That's great. That's awesome. You'll be sick of hearing about it by the time uh, by the time it comes out next year, you'll be sick of hearing about it. Yeah, Hopefully. but you're gonna you're gonna love working there. Is that <laughs> oh, your yeah. Netflix? Great. Netflix? No, it's not because Dota, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have our the same executive, uh, oh, uh, Dylan, good. Dylan Thomas good. Yeah. from Dota the very sec. Yeah. Who gave like my favorite notes of all time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, when those guys tell you he's a and, great and, guy. And Teddy Teddy Biaselli is also our, our executive. Yeah, I'm not I don't even like breathe at Teddy Teddy Biaselli. I just kind of screw around in anime land. Um <laughs> but uh but you know when those guys tell you like yeah, 21 pages and give me horseshit. It is horseshit. Like, I they know, send those off to, I don't know to, if I agree with you. I have uh, to no, say, I, I know this for a fact, right? It's like there's board artists go off, they're going to do their thing, they come back. Like, nobody is sending off like the first boards to go off to get animated. That is the entire point of doing the boards. That is the entire point. And if those boards come back exactly right and to time, there's a problem. They're probably <laughs> wrong because I've seen animatic cuts that are basically, oh, here it is. It's the time. Yeah, it's all wrong. Uh, and then I go and I've like, I've taken it and recut it from the ground up and like, <laughs> and stolen shots from other episodes. So when they tell you, oh, 21 pages, no, it's not true. Um, now what might be true that's smart and responsible is like about seven pages of action, depending on what that action is. We blew that out of the water though. That never happened. Of course. Yeah, you totally but, do. But yeah. that's, that was the model. And he was like, guys, like you guys are like, you know, I don't know how many pages. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's the problem, right? Yeah. That's exactly the problem. I totally yeah. agree with you. If it's like 21 minutes, it's like, it's exactly, I don't know, something's wrong. Something's deeply wrong. Yeah, something's, nah. and it's usually not good. It's like what Charlie said, you got to have it all in there. And then also it comes to life and you have to say, okay, this is that thing. What's working here? Don't worry about what was written. Like what's working? What's in front of us? It yep. takes a life of its own. And then you just have to kind of go with it, I think. Yeah, embrace it and nurture it and, and, you know, have it be what it's meant to be. Was this part of like going, because like we say, we, we'd love to be, you know, in animation the rest of our career. Great. Like as far as we're concerned, is that part of like why you made the move to Dallas? Does it matter? Does it not? You come back in town and do meetings. Like, how's that working? Um, it's, it's not really connected to why I moved to Dallas. I mean, it's going to make there some things, but, um, but uh, you know, it's, it is definitely the business that I want to be in. I mean, I'm still like, you know, doing stuff in live action, television and features and all that other shit. But, uh, but I love like working in animation. Um, yeah. and I kind of, you know, I found my, my thing, you know, um, we do too, but we worry. So like, are you worried if you got like, okay, if you got one like a live action TV show up and running that you would have to come back? Like, how would you do that? Nah, I mean, look, man, it's, it is, uh, look, nothing good came out of COVID, but one thing that came out of COVID. You could work. Yeah. You can work anywhere. And people yeah. realized how much, um, stuff we do that is pointless. Right. How many times we drive across LA for no damn reason at all when we don't have to, we can just get on one of these. Um, yeah. I'm running, you know, like zoom room now with some things and like, it works just fine. Thank you. And you know, when we ran Dota, I mean, even that it was like, it was not one of those, Hey, we're here for 14 hours because I hate my family and I don't want to go home. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, Hey, you know, we show up, we work and then, uh, you know, it was civilized. I mean, Ashley ran a, a pretty tight ship uh, with the writer's room. We generally started around 9.30 or 10, and we would break for lunch. And we were usually finished by 4, 4.30. Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, we weren't screwing around. You know, we weren't watching YouTube all day or, or talking about the movies we saw over the weekend for two hours. You know, we, were, we got down to business so that we could do our work. And, and go, go home. home and have a life. <laughs> yes, yes. Scott Frank talks about it. Scott Frank says, I can go hot. And I understand what he means. I go hot for about four or five hours. Like the real mm -hmm. writing guys, like then the rest of it is just kind of like BSing and like this and like, I, I, I yeah, I, I don't think you do. I really don't. I mean, maybe, you know, if it's, if it's network TV is a little bit different, but with, with, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I found on these Zoom rooms for the show I'm on now, we did a Zoom room for 24 weeks, uh, more or less. And uh, typically we do two hours in the morning, break for lunch for like an hour and a half, like go take a walk, eat yeah. lunch, you know, yeah. come back in two to three hours in the afternoon, done. That's great. And we got all our work done, you know. That's great. I believe that can be done, and it, and it, and that it's, you know the work is solid. I really and, and sometimes I even like to do a a, a, a what did I call it a uh, uh, independent study day, like no Zoom room today, just yeah. you know just Jogging. brainstorm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, feed your brain, brainstorm, come up with some ideas tomorrow. Charlie and I talk about this. It's statistically proven that when you walk and think, like that actually mm. helps you think. The walking pace helps you think. It was in the New York Times. 
and Sidney Pollack, who was a director that we always really loved, you know, loved, mm. he would always just like talk with his writer and walk, walk and talk, walk and talk. And, you know, like that is helpful. I, I, we used to do that on uh, Clone Wars and Rebels up at Skywalker Ranch. We would take the breaks and walk around Skywalker Ranch or Big, walk, Big awesome. Rock Ranch for half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah, I used We're to do that with my writing partner all the time is not what? walk around Skywalker Ranch, but, you know, we would go for a walks, afternoon <laughs> walks, morning walks, and we would just talk through a story. Talk, 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 talk. Charlie and I would go for walks. And then the other thing the Coen brothers say, he goes, like, when you're stuck, take a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yes. You get close to the subconscious in a way it works. But then, like, you also feel guilty. Like, I should be working those 10 hours, 12 hours. I need to be feeding the machine, feeding the machine. But, like... But the machine is working. It's right. always running in the, in the background, it you is. know? And like Ashley said, he's in the shower. Boom, the idea is, you know, your subconscious is always problem solving. Yes. And you give yourself a moment to relax. You're, you're taking a walk. You're going yeah. for a swim or whatever. And suddenly the idea presents itself. That's right. And you praise God. Um, uh, ADR. Oh yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, talk a little about that. But it's, uh, but yeah, it was. Um, you know, look. I mean, I don't know if you guys were, you know, in the middle of that when COVID hit or not. But one of the fun things that happened uh, with doing records and COVID was it suddenly like took the level of effort requirements uh, for recording anything and multiplied it by four. Because oh my God. Yeah. you had to get the actors to do a test and their home equipment. They had to then talk to the engineer. The engineer had to test and verify everything before we recorded. You couldn't have like multiple people. You could try it on Source Connect, but then Source Connect would drop. So now suddenly studio availability was, was even more limited because the scheduling was a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the other thing was you, know, you couldn't get away with like, you know, I have, uh, we have a, a, a loop group on Dota uh, who do Oliver Walla and all that other shit. And it's like, and, you know, fun ADR stuff that, um, and not every show does it, but I'm a firm believer in the power of ADR and sound. Oh, it, yeah. It, it really does. That, and also it's another chance to rewrite and kind of redo like dialogue and all that other shit. Um, but information. It, you know, yeah. we, mm -hmm. the, the thing that was like, that was hard for, for people to kind of get their heads around, but then we they they kind of got it was um, if you're doing live action and you're looping or you're doing whatever, fine. Get your phone, open up your voice memo program, read your line and send it in, and it'll be great, right? You can't do that in animation because we don't have room tone, right? Everybody has to sound like they're in the same space. Yeah, it sounds weird, and you just know. Like we just had to explain to like the live action people. It's like no, no, no. It's not as simple as that. No, really. You need to get audacity. No, really. You like you need to find a room that is not next to the goddamn freeway. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, we had on on my show, we uh, you know, we were in full lockdown by the time we hit our records and, and we were recording at LA Studios, uh, and um what would normally have been a three to four hour full cast record where you'd have like six to ten actors in the semicircle and doing the, like a radio play. 
we, you know, we had to bring actors in one at a time. Like I was in an isolation booth. The director was in an isolation. The engineers were separate. The actor, we could, we set it up so that we could bring in two actors at a time, but they were in separate booths, but they could see each other so they could play a scene together. Wow. And then they, then they would leave and we'd have to change out the microphones and disinfect everything. And we try to do a remote during that period to let the room, you know, decompress air out yeah and so uh, you know a three hour three to four hour session turned into a nine hour session oh my <laughs> god r- but you know you do what you got to do you know yeah. nobody got sick and, and it worked but uh it was it was it was hard but then it kind of takes costs and it balloons them yeah. um you know really does it but really uh, does. the good thing is netflix was really supportive on that score it was like because you know that was the we had never asked for breakage on anything um, and we had to go and ask for breakage on uh, on ADR because it's just we can't afford it. Like nobody anticipated that in the budget. Yeah, right. It, and our show yeah. is like costs like a biscuit. Like it's just the I, I'm not going to tell you on the this like what the budget was, but like but it's you know it's small. Um, so and when you have a cast as large as we had, and you know you you kind of do things the way that we do them. It was it was no bullshit. Those like those overages were no bullshit. But Netflix was was very very very. I can't say enough um, about how supportive and great Netflix was. Uh, yeah. You know, during the lockdown, yeah, they um, were, during they all were of great. that, they were great. We we were finishing our show. And we were both on the last few episodes, and and then there ended up being overages because things took twice as long. And they were just like, don't even worry about it. Just Fantastic. get it done. You know. Uh, they've been great like that. Netflix, for us, I don't know how you guys feel, but I mean, they've been the best studio we've ever worked at. Like, yeah. you know, we yeah, haven't yeah. had to chase them to get paid. Like, people don't understand listening. Like, you'll hand in a script at a, a legacy studio and you've done the work and you wait like six weeks, two months to get paid. No, they're like, Johnny on the spot. On? And, and more than that, like, you know, I, I without like going into details, I, I can tell you that, you know, um, you know, when I, when I've needed additional uh resources for for my writers uh they were always like okay let's do that they're really great that way yeah that's fantastic that's nice to hear though too that's great and it's nice to also like you know they don't have the same kind of content restrictions that a broadcast or a cable network might have so you're you're you have a lot more freedom in terms of what you can get away with i mean you know, I think on Dota and on my show, we, we went, sometimes we pushed the envelope in terms yeah. of the language and the yeah. violence. And, and they would yeah. say, guys, you know, I don't think you really need that swear word there. It kind of maybe, you know, lessens the impact. And we'd think about it and go, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. We can take it out. No problem. <laughs> or we'd say, you. Oh, wait, no. But it is liberating. I mean, coming from someone who's had my entire, you know, career so far, almost entirely, has been in, in animation, like, Having that freedom to be able to write a scene, you know, well, and not worry about a lot of that stuff. What I found delightful, Steve, was uh, that day that you that you looked up and you said, "Do you know what I like about this? I don't have to write quips." <laughs> <laughs> and then you went on this whole oh. rant about writing quips. <laughs> when you're writing up on those Marvel and DC shows, you know, they like they like their superheroes to be quippy. You always gotta have a clip and we'd be in ADR and there'd be like, you know, some action is happening and there's like four seconds goes by and there's no dialogue. Like, can we get a clip in there? Can we have them say something funny? Like, ah. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
it's it's a great time though. Thank God. I, I feel like all of these shows that Netflix is putting out, the the genre keeps growing, and then you have shows like Invincible on Amazon, and 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 I think that they're kind of they were proof of concept that there is an audience, and that you know I think our generation is different because we grew up watching cartoons and playing video games. So you know maybe fifty years ago, guys our age wouldn't watch an animated show. Yeah, I think that's not true at all. Yeah, and yeah, yeah I right. think it, it opens up this whole new world. Um, of possibilities. Because yeah, they have an idea of, of what it is. That sort of stigma of somebody over the age of 16 watching a cartoon is completely gone. Exactly. Which is great. I agree, right. Steve. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's because the average gamer is over 35. So, I mean, right. you know, and I think that's the same audience. And you actually, know, very astutely, they did like some research of like who loved Immortals the most. It was the younger kids who were used to the video games and, and more like watched a lot of Violent. anime. They got like they gave it an A, you know, in terms of like viewership because they were just more. They weren't off put by some of the stuff that you also mentioned. Some of the violence they were used to that. So I think that you know, um, as Charlie mentioned, it is a generational thing too. Right, well, they were, they were ready for it. And, yeah. yeah, and I think maybe uh, corollary to what you're saying, a lot of the younger kids, they just don't watch TV. Like I have nieces oh. and nephews, they don't really watch shows. They they watch YouTube and they play video games. Oh, that's so, your daughter. Yeah. That's like Sophia. She's in middle school. They don't. They don't. They don't have that experience of like, oh, it's Tuesday. We got to watch the A team. Like you know, right? Uh, well, it's like, it's, I think the the great, you know, uh, hazard. Uh, well, it, it's not really a hazard. It's like it's it's just it's different for them, man. Because like there is no such thing as appointment television, and you know everything feels a little disposable because you don't have to put any effort into seeing it. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, my 12-year-old, like, has shows that he, he loves and he watches and that he is religious about it and that he knows that he wants to see. And he knows that, you know, it's, you know, that it's Wednesday and the Bad Batch is out. You know what I mean? Like, he, cool. he's aware of, of all of that stuff. But it's, it is, it's very particular and specific because he has other entertainment options. You know, my, you know, my five-year-old's. God help me. They watch too much YouTube, man. They watch Ryan's World. I would I would actually go on a rant now about Ryan's World. <laughs> right? And about like, oh my God, that's, that's the creepiest show on television. Just want to say that for the record. <laughs> but like, who knows, man? I mean, it's like, there's stuff that they like. Hey, Chuggington and Paw Patrol and all that other stuff. But And they're into it. But um, so let me ask you guys, you're, you know, you, uh, Blood of Zeus came out. It was really successful. Netflix ordered a second season. Um, all right, so you must be like deep into it right now, huh? We're done. Season, season two is written. Season nice. Written. Okay, so you're in production now. Yeah, we, we feel great about it. Production's coming up pretty soon. We feel really great about season two. We loved how it turned out. We really feel that you know emotionally, kind of also, you know, brought it up to another level. Super happy with it. And they, um, yeah, we're we're going on to season three. They were is, is, it, is it fair to say that you guys uh, uh, would write the whole season before you started production? Yeah, yeah. We always want right. to. We always want to have all the scripts done. Yeah. And initially, the deadline was the end of June. We, you know, we we met that. Um, you know, we had a little bit of a um, you know some stuff got you know slid around, but we finished those scripts. And you know, we like to have it all because, like Boss said, yeah. we kind of view each season as a movie. And this yep. is all a big, you know, one big story. So did, so did you guys get a third season ordered or did you guys kind of sit and go, okay, let's just kind of work this out? They, they, they ordered, you know, two and three. And then initially they released that they announced two and three and it's out there. 
But then, like, they changed the tweet, and they always just say, like, just talk about season two. But then, so, recently, but then they know. came out with season three, yeah. I believe, too. So, yeah, it they, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're happy, you know, and it was just, it was gratifying um, to see it perform, you know, for them, too. As you guys know, like, when, when you when you work on a show, you want it to do well, because there are people that put up money for it. You know, we want it to do well for the people that hired us, and for ourselves, of course, but, you know, to tell your story and to have it, you know, be successful because also too, as you said, Ashley, there are so many things out there, you know, there, there are now shows out there. It used to be like where, you know, I, I would say, okay, I'm not going to be able to watch that show. Now, like I haven't even heard of some of these shows, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, which is really, and they can be good shows and you just know, yeah. I'm never going to get around to watching that. I just don't have the, the bandwidth to, to yeah. get to that. So, yeah. so. And, and especially when, you know, a, a place like Netflix will just drop the entire season at once. You're like, wow, that's you know, it's eight episodes, there's ten episodes, or like, do I have the you know, can I do but and so those shows tend to like, you know, the new season of Cobra Kai is out and dominates the conversation for about four days and then gone. Yes. <laughs> What's yeah. next? Yeah. <laughs> yes. All very true. All very true. Um yeah, we live in a new world, you know, a very different world. The streaming world has changed a lot. I think at the end of the day, it does come down to some of the things that always mattered, though. Passion, a great story, great characters, you know, and I think when you imbue a show with all those things, you at least have a shot, you know. Um, their algorithm, just I still am amazed by how that works. Because, like, we had, like, they told us, like, people that watch nature shows would probably watch Blood of Zeus. I was like, what? But then I'm like, ah, yeah, right. Isn't that the most insane thing? And then it's going to be like, no, it's not. That makes no sense at all. What are you talking about? And then I was like, I like nature shows. I, yeah, I like seeing a cheetah, you know, catch it, whatever it may be. And, and I'm like, well, maybe that is, there is some correlation. It worked. I don't even know how, but it works. Even they will tell you, like, we don't understand exactly how this works, but it works. Yep. And um, it did. It worked. It, it, we found an audience, you know, and a big one, you know, thank God. And I don't know, you know. <laughs> We're just happy to be working in this medium. You know, we have some feature stuff and like an old feature script from 10 years ago. And we have a at MGA, we have a couple yeah. feature projects, you know, a low budget feature, two other features that are kind of, you know, in the process of, you know, moving forward. You know, the first script that we sold, that heist script, actually yeah. now is at Netflix, you know. Nice. Um, yeah. So they're looking to get a director attached. And so, yeah, but, you know, we've loved animation and we just love telling stories. And, and you know, I think that also, too, that sometimes the story dictates what medium serves it best. You know, sometimes it's better told in animation. Sometimes it's better told in, you know, live TV. You know, sometimes it's a movie. Mm -hmm. We also love the scope we can tell We can tell these stories at. Because, you know, you guys know that, like, the budget of, you know, Blood of Zeus would have been like Game of Thrones. Oh. It would have been like, you know, <laughs> and it would be almost impossible to get made. But in animation, you can do that. And it's, it's, it's so kind of just like it's exciting that you know you can totally. write in that milieu and not worry about like oh my god this is we're never going to get this made we're going to have to get Spielberg to direct this if we ever want this to, to go like you know <laughs> it's just nice to to have that creative freedom and with well, COVID I, and the Delta variant and the Lambda variant and like even though all very Greek yeah I know <laughs> this brings <laughs> nightmares <laughs> back to Greek school <laughs> Yeah, he said they're gonna learn the Greek alphabet. How do you think of the Revenge of the Nerds? But honestly, when I hear this, it reminds me. We used to have to go to Greek school. 
Right. It's, uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I think this is a great uh, note to sort of wrap things up on. Uh, Charlie Vlas, you've been so generous through your time. It's It's been great talking uh, with you. And, you know, I, you've already kind of answered uh, my closing question about what's coming up for you. You've got uh, a new season of uh, Blood of Zeus beginning production. Any sense of when that might be uh, ready to, to view next summer, perhaps next fall? Do you know? Oh, I wish. We don't we, know. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. That's, you know, uh, that's all on, on Powerhouse and our overseas animators. And, you know, um, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, they're trying to work as fast as they can, you know. So sometime soonish. And I'd love to, I know we'd love to have you guys back on when it comes, oh, when that. it drops. And, you know, I'm sure we have plenty more we can talk about. Right. We, can, we can talk about the Meredith, about Meredith Lane for an entire yes. She's amazing. Ah, She's so amazing. Good. But let me just say, because we're talking about names and credits. When I was in law school, I took a class that was taught by the former executive director of the WGA, Brian Walton. And uh, part of the class is that we read through the collective bargaining agreement. We broke it down and he would explain to us why certain parts of it were in there. And so obviously, if you know, if you're unhappy with how a movie turns out, you can take on a pseudonym. And mm. he got a call one day from Columbia Pictures and the president of production was like, you have to talk to this writer. This is insane. The name she wants to use is unacceptable. And he goes, well, what's the name? And uh, he said, it's Roe v. Wade. And he's like, what? What does this mean? So he calls up the, the writer and she's like, what does this name even mean? It can't just be gibberish. She goes, it's Roe v. Wade because what they did to my script was an abortion and I don't want my name on it. And, and he's like, and so when, when, and they eventually all pieced it together. So then they're like, no, this is absolutely not acceptable. Columbia was like, no way. So now there's a clause in the collective bargaining agreement that the pseudonym has to be reasonable because <laughs> I pee freely. I talked to a writer once who, uh, so he, when he uses a pseudonym for when it's like a paycheck job and he's embarrassed by it, he uses Bill Owen. And if it's a particularly <laughs> bad script and he's particularly uh, pressed for money, it's Wild Bill Owen. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, that's fun. I like that. We all got that to Bill Owen, that's great. That's great. Well, at least uh, that's not offensive. So you, I guess yeah, you still it's use just that. Funny. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have a, a social media where our listeners could uh, could follow you on a on an Instagram or a Twitter or something? We're just Blood of Zeus uh, on Twitter and Instagram. We run those profiles, and uh, that's us. It. Yeah, I, I respond to most of them and post there, and I'll, I'll make sure to share this up there when uh, when this drops. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks. So uh, thanks again for, for Charlie and, and, and Voss. Thanks for having us, guys. Real pleasure. It was a blast talking to you guys. And uh, Our pleasure. You know, I just I just watched Caught Up on Blood of Zeus this week. I, I kind of got lost in my COVID shuffle when it dropped, but I thought it was tremendous. And oh, congratulations. And I, I'm really looking forward to season two. A admiration sentiments are mutual, guys. Keep up yeah. the good work. Thank you. Great to see that you're good people, too, on top of it. And uh, just wishing you both the very best. And thanks for having us.
Thank you. Thank you. So that's another episode. Uh, thank you, Ashley. It's another episode of the Cartoon Bar Room. Our sound engineers are Bill Ritter and Mark Rivera. Our producer is Natalie Miscali. Our co-producers are Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts. And our video editor is Dylan Middlebrook. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating us in the Apple Store. It really helps us spread the word. You can also check out our sister podcast, The 430 Movie, in which a group of industry professionals, including Ashley and myself, curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies. Movies, Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast, and the best movies never made about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can watch all these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app. Download it today at your favorite app store. You can also follow all these shows on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So until next time, it is finished, people. No, that's not the line. <laughs> that's all. That's folks. all, folks. <laughs> This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.